In a moment, we're going to return to the book of Acts, but I want to read a few verses here in Matthew 16. If I were to ask you, who is your favorite disciple? I wonder what you would say. To me, there's a clear leader there, and that's Peter. First, he was a fisherman, so I think that gives him a few marks already in my book. But he is clearly the most outspoken and passionate, and you just never had to wonder if he was all in. And as he walked with Jesus, there's a really a crucial passage that takes place in Matthew 16 that I think will set the stage for our Acts passage. So I'm reading in Matthew 16, The second half of verse 13, Jesus asked this question. Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And here's Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, now mark these next couple of words, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Have you ever asked yourself, what in the world did Jesus mean when he told Peter that he would give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven? What are these keys? What are keys used for? Rather, to unlock a door, right? There are times we pull our vehicle into the garage and And I'm the last one out, usually cleaning up uh, from everyone within the vehicle. And the boys rush to the front door and they have to wait for me because I have the keys. And I'll, I'll take the keys and I'll throw them. And the first boy that grabs them, grabs them and unlocks the door. Well, what is Peter? How is he like the one that has the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Well, if you remember our passage and our context Peter is the man with the keys. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as we started the book of Acts, Jesus told the disciples, you stay here in Jerusalem. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Peter is present. In fact, he has a front row seat when the gospel or the Holy Spirit comes upon the Jews in Acts chapter 2. It's as if he has the key and he is opening the door for the Holy Spirit to fall on his own people. And then in Acts chapter 8, we see the key also turn as Peter is present when the Holy Spirit falls on the Samaritans. You see it, witnesses in Jerusalem and in Samaria And in Acts chapter 10, the passage we'll cover this morning, Peter also is front and center as he takes the gospel key and he is able to turn it. And now the gospel is made known to the ends of the earth or to the Gentiles. So what I'd like to do this morning 
is read a whole bunch of Scripture as we close out Acts chapter 9. And we'll read all of Acts 10 and a few verses of Acts 11. So we're just going to allow God's Word to speak to us this morning. And I'll pause and offer some comments here and there. The context here of Acts 9, if you were with us the last two weeks, we have read about how Saul was radically converted. He at one time was a persecutor of Christians, and now he is a follower of Christ, and God is going to use him. Now let's pick up where we left off last week as we consider the first miracle of three that we see in this passage of Scripture, and that is God using Peter to bring healing to a man named Ananias. And I'm now in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Here is the first miracle where Peter enters a town called Lydda that is about 25 miles from Jerusalem. And while there, he is among saints. We see that in verse 32. All that means is he is around some Christians there. And then he finds a man that has been paralyzed for eight years. And if you've ever read carefully through the Gospels, when you get to John chapter 5, you see some similarities of a healing that Jesus did as it relates very closely to what Peter does here in Acts chapter 9. And John 5, 8, Jesus says to this paralyzed man, rise, take up your mat and walk. Here in our passage here in Acts 9, he tells them, rise and make your bed. It was Charles Wendell that said, if Jesus were speaking to a teenager here, this indeed would be the greatest miracle of all in the Bible, that a teenager would actually make their bed. Well, he does just that. And we see, as a result of that, verse 35, the residents in the area, they turn to the Lord. So the first miracle is Ananias' miracle of walking. Now let's consider the second miracle, which is the next paragraph. Now there was in Joppa, this is verse 36, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when they arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turned to the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon 
a tanner. In the same way that the first few verses we read in our passage finds a parallel in Jesus' ministry, this other passage I read does as well. In Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus encounter a young woman, 12 years old, that had died. And just as Peter goes to the room and he ushers everyone out, so did Jesus. And Jesus says to this young 12-year-old girl, Arise! And he took her hand, and Peter does the same thing. And God's power raises this dead person back to life. We see that same pattern in the passage of which we had just read. Now, there had been miracles performed through the book of Acts up until this point, but no one has been raised to life until now. And when we see miracles in the Gospels or in the book of Acts, it was for a purpose. When Jesus performed a miracle, it was to prove that he was the Son of God and that his message was worth listening to. And Jesus ascends early part of Acts. And now his followers, the apostles, are left. And God uses them to perform miracles. But when they do, they always are able to share the message the true message that God came to die. Jesus came to die for your sins so that they would become followers of Jesus. And we see that in both of these passages, most notably here in verse 42. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And we see that Simon here, Peter, is actually staying with someone who is a tanner. I don't know if you know what a tanner is. I think my wife is a tanner. She loves to be out on the beach and get sun, and she likes to tan. But that is not what a tanner is. You know what a tanner is? It is someone who takes dead animals, right, and uses their skins and repurposes them. Well, in the Old Testament, Jews were told not to touch dead stuff. So a tanner was not a profession that was very admirable. In fact, I read this past week in preparation for this message of a rabbi that actually gave the rule that if a young lady was engaged to a young man and she found out that he was a tanner, that she had grounds to not go through with that marriage. That's how much tanners were looked down upon. I know of only two other exceptions in the scriptures of where a person doesn't need to go through with marrying a fiancé. One is if a young lady finds out that that man that she's going to marry is either a Bears fan or a Vikings fan. Those are the three exceptions that I'm aware of there. One of them is rooted in Scripture. No, actually, none of those are rooted in Scripture as I come to think about it. So let us now enter into the third miracle, and this will spend most of our time today, and it is Cornelius' miracle of eternal life. This is the miracle that I think is the the grandest of them all. Because it takes some men and takes some women, an entire group of people that are on their way to hell. And it allows them to hear the message that they can be saved and enter into a relationship with God and on their way to heaven. So let's just read a few of these passages here together, picking it up in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, 
a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continuously to God. Now, Warren Wearsby, in his commentary, has said that the the span of time from Acts 1, verse 8, that is that passage that speaks about going out and being witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the span of time between Acts 1, 8 and Acts 10, 1 is 10 years. Often we think, man, what we need to do as a church is we just need to go back to the first century church. They had it all figured out. And certainly we need to learn from the early church. But you will see that they were slow to apply taking the gospel to people that were different than them. Then we read about this man named Cornelius, a centurion. And once again, Jesus contacted a a centurion himself in Luke 7. But this Cornelius man, as it says here, was a soldier that would have been over at least a hundred people, likely more than a couple of hundred people. It says here he was a good man. He was devout. He feared God. He gave generously to the poor and prayed continuously to God. I don't think Cornelius is unlike many of the people in our own community. Good man. A good woman there that is moral, they are upright, they are honest. They put in a a full day's work. They fear God, they'll even go to church. They are religious. Cornelius, as these other people, are lost in their sins. And the wonderful act of grace in Cornelius' life is that he knew that he was lost. He was not dependent on his good works or his religious activity to save him, he realized that there was something missing. Maybe you've heard of Jonathan Wesley, the father of the Methodist church, and how this man in the uh, 1700s, you talk about a good man. He was a church member. He was the son of a pastor. While he was attending Oxford College, he was a part of a, a group called the Holy Club, where they sought to perfect the spiritual life. He was even a foreign missionary, yet he lacked assurance of his salvation. And one May day in 1738, Wesley reluctantly attended a Bible study where they were just simply reading the commentary of Romans written by Martin Luther. And as Jonathan Wesley was hearing these words, I'm quoting now, he said, while he was describing the change was God's works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death, end quote. If God would use Jonathan Wesley to preach the gospel, to bring revival and social reforms throughout England. Here's Cornelius, a good man, religious, but he is lost. And the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So let's read in verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who was called Peter. He is saying, you go out 
and you go get Peter and bring him here. If you had a chance to read the context of this, you would know that in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, God had an evangelist right there in Caesarea named Philip. And it would have been just as easy to say, hey, why don't you send Philip locally here and he can share the message to Cornelius. But it was God's plan that Peter would hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. God had appointed Peter as the one to be able to open the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. So then we continue to read here in verse 6. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those whom attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here it is. There is this vision that Cornelius receives. And in it, he is told to call for a man named Peter, who is in Joppa, and ask him to come, and he will share this message for you so that you can have your sins forgiven. So not only does Cornelius receive a vision, but Peter also receives a vision. Let's pick up our story in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the house stop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheep descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. I imagine this would make no sense at all if you're not acquainted with some of the scriptures. In the Old Testament law, Jews were not permitted to eat animals that were scavengers. So if there were a bird, or say a pig that ate trash or garbage, in order to send a message, God would say to his people, you are different than everyone else. They were not permitted to eat such animals. Not even catfish because they were a bottom dweller or crabs. And so Peter has grown up with this tradition, grown up with this understanding. And now in this passage, he is seeing food that presumably is unclean. But this vision is sending a message to him that has nothing to do with food. It has everything to do with God taking the unclean and making it clean. God having the power to take the Gentiles and include them in the family of faith. How we relate to one another is very important. This past week I was reading in a commentary of the story of Gandhi. Muhammad Gandhi, Muhammad Gandhi, shares in his autobiography that in his student days in England, he was deeply touched by reading the Gospels and seriously considered becoming a convert to Christianity, which seemed to offer real solution to the caste system that divided the people of India. One Sunday, he attended church services and decided to ask the minister for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines. 
But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. He left and never came back. He said, if Christians have a caste difference, differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. So let's pick up our story here in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. I think the first evidence that, that Peter is softening towards people that are different than him is that he actually is staying with a tanner early in our passage. But the second evidence of this is that these Gentiles show up, servants of Cornelius, and he actually invites them in, and he says, you be our guest for the evening. So you have Cornelius that has a vision. You have Peter that has this vision. And then in the next part of our passage, Cornelius and Peter meet. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Now let's just pause here for a moment. Those of you who have read the scriptures, and you've read through the Old Testament and New Testament, can you think of another time where the word Joppa is used? Can you think of a Bible story that has the word Joppa in it? Hey, the early service could. (laughs) Does the name Jonah ring a bell? Do you remember Jonah? He was sent by God to go declare a message of repentance to Gentiles, Ninevites. Jonah himself was a Jew. And did he quickly go and obey God? Absolutely not. He went to Joppa, didn't he? And do you remember when we read at the very beginning of our message in Matthew 16? Do you remember how I paused when Jesus identified Peter as Simon, Bar-Jonah? Do you know what that means? Peter, son of Jonah. And so as Jonah was at the crossroads early in the book of Jonah, will I obey God and, and share the gospel with Gentiles or people that are different than me? Peter is at the crossroads here in Acts chapter 10. Will he go and follow God and share the gospel with Gentiles, people that are different with him, or will he follow the route that Jonah did? And praise be to God that he follows the Lord's leading and he goes to Caesarea. We read in verse 24, On the following day they entered Caesarea, 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. You'll notice in verse 24 that Cornelius was already witnessing the people even before he was a Christian. Verse 25 says, When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. That's, that's very similar to every time I come home to my, through the front door where my family come and sit down and they worship me. Verse 26 says, But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Verse 27, And he talked with them, and he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit another of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? In other words, why have you asked me to come to visit you, Cornelius? And you and I have the advantage of knowing the book of Acts. We just read Acts 1 verse 8 that says that Peter and his friends are to be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He had been summoned to his house to be able to share the gospel with him. Look at his response here in verse 30. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. And at the ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I went for you at once. And you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. In other words, I've got my friends, I've got my family, and we are all here wanting to hear how we can have our sins forgiven. Can you imagine going to such a location where people actually want to hear the gospel? In our early service, I was able to look over at Jim Van Geem and say, Jim, you and I experienced this when we went to Senegal uh, in early March. We were able to share the gospel with people that just would gather a great crowd. Okay, tell us this message. And this is Peter's experience here. So it's no surprise then that the next part of our passage is Peter preaches in verses 34 through 43. And we have covered Acts enough to know that there is a similar pattern in this preaching. There will be an introduction. We will hear about Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and the need for people to avoid God's judgment, as well as there's this invitation to salvation. So let's read this sermon together real quickly. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Now in verse 38, we see Jesus' life. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. 
Verse 39, we see Jesus' death. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. In verses 40 to 41, we see his resurrection. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42 is judgment. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And then in verse 43, we see this invitation to salvation. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Cornelius, you have heard this message. You are a good man. The missing piece for you is to believe in Jesus, that he came to die for your sins, and he will offer forgiveness to you. Peter is not even able to finish this message. He is not able to say to the piano player, now you come and and you start playing just as I am. He is interrupted as we see a Gentile Pentecost. Look with me at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were extolling them, speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he had commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And just as in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the Jewish Christians there, they spoke in tongues. We see something similar here in Acts chapter 10. It's as if the Gentiles are having their own Pentecost. Now, how do you think the other Christians responded to this? How do you think the other apostles responded to the news that the church was exploding as non-Jews were now being entered into it? We find the answer to that in the first two verses of Acts 11. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. You see, Peter is criticized for for eating with them. Instead of celebrating this, they're criticizing him for it. So this provides an opportunity for Peter to back up and say, let me just share with you the events of Acts chapter 10. And instead of reading all of that, let me just skip down to verse 18 of chapter 11 where it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, we have read an enormous amount of scripture today as we've covered this passage. Now, let us just contemplate what are some different takeaways that we can pull out from this passage as we see this criticism that turns to worship. What are some of the takeaways I'll go back to this one here. It was Peter's privilege 
to share the gospel with the Gentiles. God did not need Peter. He was giving him the privilege of going out and sharing the gospel with Cornelius and his friends, and they were receptive to hear it. Just in the previous chapter, we have the account of Saul, who was radically converted, not by a man or a woman preaching to him, but by meeting the risen Lord on the road. God could have done that with Cornelius, but God wanted Peter to have the privilege of sharing the gospel. And friends, if you're a Christian here today, it is a privilege for us to share this good news with others. And then secondly, before God converted the Gentiles, God wanted to convert Peter's discriminating heart. I'm not suggesting that Peter was not a Christian at the early part here of Acts 9 or Acts 10. He certainly was. But God wanted to do a work in Peter's heart in preparation to share the gospel with these Gentiles. You see, as we think about being in our community and and having the privilege of sharing the gospel with others, we are not only a blessing to them, but our community can be a blessing to us as they reveal stuff within our own hearts. And we see in this passage that there is a progressive work in Peter's life. First, we see him softening up where he is staying with a tanner, a Jewish man, but by profession he is around dead animals. And then this, the next wave of that is he, that he opens up his home to Gentiles and they serve as his guest. Unfathomable at one time in his life, but now God is doing a work in his heart. And then the third phase of this is where he literally enters into a Gentile's home because the Spirit has led him to do that. And it is there where he is able to share the gospel. God has worked in his life progressively. I think there's also something to be said about exposure here. Is that the more that he has exposed the people that are different than him, the more he has a heart for them. And while we might pray here in a comfortable church room, say, God, give me a heart for the lost. Give me a heart for people that are different than me. God may miraculously answer that prayer, but it is often answered when we are around people that are different than us. And we get a heart for them. Over the past couple of months, uh, I've had the privilege of taking a few boys and delivering lunches to people within our community families that are not able to go to a local school. So we bring the lunches to them and maybe we deliver 50 or 60 lunches and maybe 20, I don't know, 20 different homes, 20, 25 different homes. And so our route is here on the west side. And and one of my favorite homes to deliver is one on Clinton Avenue near Clinton and Broadway. And when we approach this house, uh, there's a, a, a large family in there, and there's a young African-American girl that maybe is five or six years old. She has this huge afro. I mean, it just explodes, you know. And, and so I always try to have one of the boys deliver the lunch there because we never quite know what's going to come out of her mouth, and it's usually very entertaining. And one time, little Joshua had delivered the lunch, and, and she was ready, and the, the door opened, and she says, Oh, hey, a little, a little boy delivered it today. And, and so we've always kind of recited that story. And, and just this last week, I had little Titus up there, and he, he delivered that lunch. And then we kind of stepped back, hoping to be able to have a conversation. 
And not only did we get to see that young girl, but we got to see grandma. And, and just trying to establish a conversation or relationship with her where she informed me that, that, that she has eight grandkids in that one home. And, and you just, just begin to think through that. And the more you, you learn about someone, the more you have a heart for them, right? And not all that far from here on the other side of the stadium, uh, I think it was me and Moses a few weeks ago, we were delivering a lunch, and there was a mom of five kids, a single mom, and in the same age range as our kids. And I just sat there in her front yard to just ask her to share her story and, and her burdens. And, and, and you slowly develop a heart for them, even if she's a different color skin or a different background, and, and you want to share the gospel with her. So right there in the, in the front yard, had a chance to pray. I'll tell you another one that happened to me just this week. I was driving down Mason in front of uh, Chili's there, and, and there's a stoplight, and there was a car in front of me that had the bumper sticker that said, I stand with Planned Parenthood. And, and there's something within me that when it sees Planned Parenthood, a, a, an organization that is responsible for so many abortions within our country, that just rises up within me. But I think in the, in the grace of God, I, I found myself pulling up alongside this person and saying, I'd actually like to get to know this person, have them as a friend, to be able to, to hear their heart and to be able to share truth with them and, and share the gospel with them. And so there's this exposure of people that are different. We don't step away from truth or, or uh, compromise on that, no. But as Peter was around people that were different than him, he developed a heart for them. And as I think as we move away from this passage, I think that is certainly one of the implications for us. We celebrate that the gospel is not just for a closed group, but it is for all. And we may follow Peter's example. And as we go out, may God do a work in our own heart. Perhaps he would reveal patterns of sin in our own heart as we're meeting with people that are different than us. That's my prayer for us today. Let's, let's spend some time just giving this thought. Why don't we bow our heads and allow me to close us in a word of prayer. And friend, maybe you see yourself that you're like this Cornelius. As best you know, you're a good person. You try to do the right thing and you, you are one that don't mind going to church, but like Cornelius, you realize that there is something missing. You lack this personal relationship with the Lord. And so there that day, Cornelius heard that the answer to that was by believing in what Jesus did for him. He died on the cross for his sins. Place your faith. Ask God and God alone to forgive you of your sins and believe that what Jesus did on the cross is is sufficient to make you right with God. You can do that right where you're at. Say something like, God, please forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I, I want to know him and I want to follow him. It could also be um, there are others within our room that are, that are Christians, that have been walking with the Lord for a while. And if one thing that Peter teaches us, 
Even though he's been a follower of Jesus for so long, God is still working in his heart and exposing sin in his heart. And may God do the same thing in my life and in your life as well. Are there people around you that are different, that you have not, that you have not approached because you don't think like them, don't act like them? Well, Father, I pray that you would do this work in our heart to give us a love for people that are not only like us, but are different than us. And as people come into this room here at Highland Crest, they would look around and not see that everyone is the same, dressed the same, talks the same, and has similar interests. But there is a diversity here of people that look different, have various backgrounds, yet we all have our unity and that we have turned from our sins and placed our faith in Jesus. May we apply this passage in our life today and in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have never trusted Christ to save you of your sins and to be a Christian, but you have done today, please let me know or, or someone maybe that you've come with. We would love to follow up with you and just go through what the beginning steps of what the Christian life looks like. Well, as we saw in our passage today, when the Jews finally got it, you know what, this gospel is not only just for us, but it's for everyone. They glorified God. So as we leave today, let us glorify God, knowing that we are not to keep this message to ourselves, but we have the privilege of sharing it with others. So let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this wonderful gospel message. And, and this has been an emphasis on the book of Acts, certainly. And may we go share it. But as we saw today, that in the process of sharing, you are doing a work in our own hearts. And we invite you to do that. Now may we go in love. And may we go with your grace. And may you open doors and help us with boldness to proclaim this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.